Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Mastery and today I'm excited to have Miguel Fernandez, who's the CEO of CapChase. CapChase is powering the growth of digital recurring economy and has raised more than $125 million from uh, Ivy League investors like Blink Capital, Caffeinated Capital, Box, Crop, and um, One VC. Miguel has done his MBA from Howard Business School. Uh, welcome to the show, Miguel. Thank you so much for it. Uh, good to be here. Awesome. So, you know, you've had an interesting journey. Before I talk about captures, uh, you've had, uh, you know, you worked in companies like GeoBlink and you built your own uh, brands like Heyday Brand, which was uh, an e-tailer which you were, where you were selling apparel from up-and-coming fashion brands and Vibau. Uh, what, what, was, what, were, uh, what, what was your experience before you went to Harvard Business School and you started uh, captures? Yeah, so... Um... When I first started, you know, I, I studied engineering. I did mechanical engineering and nuclear engineering in Madrid, Munich. And, um, you know, that's well, the reason why I did that is that I was always curious about understanding how things work, you know, and, and how, how to build things, right? So mm, mechanical engineering was perfect for that. And then I started working in consulting. Uh, I did a couple of years at Monitor Deloitte doing banking, TMT, and retail. And... You know, I felt that I was learning a lot of things, you know, about how to work, but I also felt that I, I needed to, to build and I felt that it's to build. So I set up two companies that you mentioned, Weibo and, and, and Heyday. Um, they're all, I mean, they're both pretty early stage. We achieved a few, you know, thousand euros. We, we lost a little bit of money in the first one. We made a little bit of money in the second one, but nothing much. We just learned a lot of lessons. Um, and then, you know, like I decided that I really wanted to work in tech. So I joined this uh, pre-revenue uh, company in Spain called GeoBlink, and I was the first person in sales. And I didn't know that I was joining a sales team. I thought I was joining, joining like a strategy team. And when I got there the first day, they're like, okay, so here's your phone and you have to call these people. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I've never you know, like thought that it was gonna be like that. But anyways, I just did it and it worked out well. And then I built and led sales and customer success. And then moved to London to open up the local office, you know, uh, build a team, enter the market. Essentially, like, you know, like lead the, in the internationalization of, of, of GeoBlink there. So, you know, those three years were really important for us because uh, I'm saying us because two of my co-founders were also at GeoBlink, but they were running the product uh, team. They were really important because we experimented, you know, most of the pains that we're trying to solve right now, right? So we saw how complex it was to manage cash in a fast-growing business, you know, and how the different ways that our customers would pay us would impact the cash availability of the business, you know, the growth rates, the funding, you know, timing, and even the valuation, right? So um, that was very important. Um, we learned a lot. And all those pains, we just didn't really think about how to solve them. We just took them for granted. But then, you know, we left all at the same time each to an MBA, I was going to HPS, uh, Guli was going to Berkeley, and then Luis was going to INSEAD. And, you know, we had always talked about launching something, but we didn't really have an idea. We, we didn't really have the, the, the mindset or, or the mind space to look for, for things. So then when we all left to do our MBAs, we decided to be a little bit more deliberate about what, you know, we're going to do and the ideas that we, that we were going to research. So basically, we saw, okay, what 
do we know and what do we like? So we knew B2B SaaS, we really liked FinTech. So we, as soon as we landed, as soon as we landed on HBS in, in, in August last year, August, August 2019, sorry, we started looking for new ideas. And then the, we, we had the, the realization moment in January 2020 when uh, the first idea we had at Capsis was, hey, like, there has to be a way in which tech companies can offer flexible payment terms, but get all the cash up front. And with the realization moment, then in January, we started you know, to, to speak with a bunch of founders you know, and, and ended up honing up on the idea. Got it. And, uh, and you know, uh, SaaS comp- uh, I mean, Captures helps SaaS companies uh, finance the growth of operations. But, uh, 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 you know, when, when it comes to other you know, RPS companies, they're trying to solve for uh, e-commerce companies. But do you think uh, uh, there's going to be enough traction for B2B SaaS companies uh, to uh, to grow uh, without taking equity capital, especially when it comes to e-commerce companies, they look they look into inventory management. But for SaaS companies, what what are the sorts of uh, growth options? Uh, or, or, or why do you, why do SaaS companies need growth capital, and how does Captures help them solve it? So so let's see. Um, e-commerce is a different world, you know, and there are companies that are usually very cash like the cash levels are very very low. And they are, you know, have to finance the inventory. They have to finance the marketing. And if they stop investing into acquisition or into financing, like they, they just go flat, right? So there are players in the market that do that, but that model is just not useful for SaaS because of you know of the price. It's incredibly expensive, and then very short term. And you know, SaaS by nature is just like different. So I think that the market, the SaaS market, is huge. And not just for financing. Like we're not just a financing company. We don't want to do just financing. Why we started catching in the first place is because we saw that these SaaS companies are really underbanked, right? So you have amazing companies with you know millions of revenue, uh, millions of, of revenue, current revenue, you know, per year, um, growing extremely fast, and then they are really underbanked. Not in the sense that they can't really access these financial products, you know, that bank offers, but they just don't use them. Right, so you look at the average $10 million ARR business, like SaaS business, great business, and you look at the average $10 million annual revenue SMB, and the, the SMB is using tens of financial products and the SaaS company is using three. You know, it's using credit card, check-ins account, you know, and maybe like a money market account where they park their, their VC money, right? So um, the reason why they're not using any of these financial products is I think, you know, after thousands of conversations, I think it's primarily for three reasons, right? One is the products are not designed for them. So the, the, the financial products are like fit all, you know, like any such company would fit into the SMB category, right? So the financial products are not adapted to them. Two, because it is very easy to do everything with VC money, you know, because the VC money is there. Like you have 20 million in the bank account or two or three or a hundred or whatever. And then three is because financial operations like they require time to be executed right and funders don't have time they they and they don't want to spend time there they just want to focus on building a great product and then distributing and selling a great product so these are those three reasons these SaaS companies are not using financial products so what we want to do at captures is we want to on the first hand develop the financial products that these companies need to be more effective, grow faster, be more in control, be less exposed to mistakes, you know, or, or like hiccups. And then second, put them on autopilot. So our founders don't need to, you know, 
spend time doing those things and everything can just happen automatically, right? So, so they, you can just see what's going on. So what we think about, is, you know, how we, what we think as a company that we solve for these businesses is four things. We are putting revenues on our pilot. We're putting expenses on our pilot. We're putting treasury on our pilot and then financial operations. Those are the four things that comprise um, finance in a, in a tech company. So why we're doing revenue financing is because it is the most expensive pain that these founders have in other priorities, right? So then we started with financing. That's great. We're working with thousands of companies now because we're really solving a very, very deep pain. And the market is huge. We haven't even scratched the surface, right? That's the first thing. And then we started into, we went into expenses with expense financing, which is like a buy now, pay later for, for, for these companies. That's great as well. Solving a lot of problems as well, which we can talk about later. Next, we're getting into treasury in the next month and also on financial operations, right? So our goal is not to be a financing company, is to solve much more, you know, solve all of these financial needs of these companies and put them on autopilot. Got it. And, uh, and do you think, uh, you know, uh, uh, debt financing can, can work for B2C comp uh, SaaS companies as well? Or do you focus more on B2B SaaS companies only? Sure, for sure. You can, you can have both, right? Like, it is a combination of metrics, uh, you know, uh, how fast it growing, you know, how, effect, how efficient they are, um, how long do customers stay around for all the stuff, but you can definitely work with B2C and we have a ton of customers in the B2C space. Correct. And, and, and you know, you, you talked about metrics, you know, what, what metrics are important for you to process, uh, uh, you know, loans to, to startup founders? And, and, and how, how, how do you make sure that the process is, is faster uh, than, than other companies? Yeah, we have the fastest person in the market, right? Like a, a customer just comes, you know, connects the data, accounting, banking, and, and revenue data. And then uh, in 24 hours, they know how much money they, they're going to be able to tap into for the following two years, right? So then that helps them to plan ahead, you know, and, and just focus on growing the business. And the metrics that we look, there are hundreds of metrics, right? So we couldn't get them all in a call, but, um, you know, how fast they're growing, how efficient it is, you know, the churn, um, if they you know, um, grow 10%, how fast do the expenses grow? So a lot of, a lot of different things that, that we do, and then we crunch them all together. And then, and then we, yeah, we, we just like bring that, put it together into a score, into a score that we call cap score, and that determines how much money they can take. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Um, uh, you know, I, I ha had a conversation with, with Andrew from uh, Clay Company uh, who mentioned that, you know, 50 to 80% of ad spends are getting into Facebook and Google ads, especially when it comes to e-commerce. Uh, but also when it comes to SaaS companies, a lot of money is getting into, into social media, marketing, and uh, ad spending there. Why is that happening? And, you know, what is the solution? Uh, do you think there are going to be other distribution channels which are going to be as important as Google and Facebook uh, going forward? For sure, especially more, um, I mean, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, they're important. Uh, out of home is also important for B2B, you know, like we have some real examples that, that did really well. Uh, but then like, I think in, in B2B SaaS, 
a lot of the money goes towards sales, right? Like you have a sales team, which is like your acquisition team in an e-commerce company. Okay. Have a sales team that is very expensive, you know? It has lots of moving parts and you know, like SDRs, they have account executives, they have customer success managers, right? And then they have this unique thing, which is the, the bonus, you know, that they get a month, a bonus every month for closing companies that would be paying for the following years, right? So financing that, um, that bonus, you know, instead of making like a big lump sum of cash, spreading it over the following months um, is, is very important. And then also, you know, I think that the main difference is not so long about where they use the money, uh, so much about where they use the money, sorry, but also, hey, like these companies, they're burning money, right? So they are spending money. So then you, you have two choices. Either you spend the money that the VCs gave you or your own money, in which case, like, it's like you hamper the growth a lot. Or, you know, if you are accruing revenues, which the revenues are recurring in nature, right? So they're going to come month after month, year after year, right? So if you just have those revenues there and you're just waiting for them to come, then naturally you're going to burn money. So if you can bring part of those revenues, you know, every month to fund your current operations, you can just go ahead at full speed without spending VC money. Got it. No, I absolutely agree. You know, if the SaaS founder is able to solve his problems of cash uh, crunch, then he can he can definitely go fast. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, uh, about your BNPL product, which is capture expense financing. Where, uh, where you look at managing, you know, large expenses for, for founders. Uh, what are the repayment terms? Uh, and, uh, you know, how do you ensure that, uh, you know, uh, that the that interest rates are, are, are is, is it cheaper than, than other uh, other financing source resources which your founder can have? 100%, yeah. So, so basically the payment terms are, imagine that you are going to pay hundred thousand dollars to a lawyer, right? Or or, or fifty thousand dollars in sales commissions or a big, you know, marketing campaign or a big software tool, right? So you, you have to spend a ton of money and you don't want to. So then you, with CapTis, what you do is CapTis space for you and then you, you pay installments to CapTis, right? So then for two or three percent, you know, like fee for a year, sometimes a little bit more depending on the company, um, you can just smooth out completely all your um you know, like cash outflows. Yeah, and, and sure. this is like at least two or three times better than the next best alternative in terms of pricing, in terms of pricing. And then the other alternatives, they only float your expenses for like two or three months, right? So it's like dramatically superior products with captures. Right, so, so you're saying that there's flexible payment terms uh, over over a, over a you know period of three months to twelve months, but the interest rates are also lower. It's like uh, are the interest rates two percent or three percent, or is it two or three percent lower than what is being offered in the in the market? No, no, no it's, it's way lower. It's like fifty percent lower than whatever is in the market, right? So, you know, depending on the company, you know, like of course, like some let's say uh, the, the the really solid companies will pay pay less, of course, right? But but yeah, you can get rates that it would be impossible to get anywhere else. You know, and also the speed, right? Like you can do this for every single purchase that you want. You don't have to go and talk to anybody, you know, and spend a ton of time because with Captis, everything's automated. Correct. And, uh, you know, in one of the interviews, you, you mentioned that one of the main competitors is venture debt. 
uh, why do you think you know uh, venture debt is uh, the main competitor? Uh, don't you think venture capital is with whom you want to compete? Well, I mean, venture capital, sure, but like if we, we can only let's say complement or substitute venture capital when when the companies have revenue, right? That's when we can work together. Before, you know, if you don't have an idea or if you want to attract, you know, like specific people to your board to help you build a company, then VC is a valid alternative. What we're saying is like, instead of going and raising a seed round, a series A, a series B, a series C, a D, F, and then IPO, right? You can just raise a seed, you know, then make that go for long, then raise an A and that be it, right? So the majority of our customers are VC backed to some degree, which allow them to keep much more of the company moving forward. And then why we say that venture is our biggest competitor? This is like founders are, are still like not used to using any other social financing besides uh, VC money. So then uh, venture debt has been around for a few years. It's just like, it's not a good product, right? Like, so, so we, every time that we go against venture debt, the funder chooses us because it's just way better for them and for the business and for the future and for everything. Uh, but still, like venture debt is, I don't know, if it's like a $20 billion industry in the US. And, and I mean, and we are just getting started, right? Like we were in the hundreds of millions. All right. And, uh, you know, I uh, realized that, you know, uh, companies like uh, CapChase and, you know, other revenue-based financing companies are an alternative to, to venture capital. But, uh, uh, but w- what was the media and the VC response when you when you started to build this company? So, so, so what was the, the the people response? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what did uh, you know venture capitalists uh, think about revenue based finance company or, or what captures uh, was trying to build because uh, it does you know compete with the the VC industry uh, and I was wondering you know what was the VC uh, response to to your sort of a financing model. They, they, let's see. So for a VC that's invested in a company, right. it's great. It's the best thing that they could get because the companies are getting extra money. They're getting a lot of visibility and the unit economics on the metrics, you know, and, and on what to tap into to grow faster. And they're not getting diluted, right? So VCs get diluted as much as founders, right? Like they have to keep pouring money into every subsequent round of a company they've backed just to keep their stake. So imagine if they, instead of doing that, they could not get diluted and then pour that money into other companies, right? So, or, you know, pour the money to buy more stake, not to just keep the position. So they're really happy. And once we, every time we start working with a company, their VCs hear about us and they get very excited and they recommend us to other companies, right? So, so that more of the portfolio companies can use it. I think that this becomes, you know, more of a, competitor to VCs in later rounds, you know, when the companies have enough revenue to not need to raise again. So then VCs chasing new deals is just more, more complex, right? More complicated. Um, but yeah, like they're generally very happy about it. Got it. And, uh, you know, I wanted to understand about, about the unit economics. Uh, how, how do you make money? What are the different revenue channels for captures? So we basically advance a discount. So if, if a company uh, takes, you know, a million dollars, has $3 million in ARR, takes a million dollars up front, um, then we would give them between 
93 to 99% of that, right? And then they would pay us 100%, right? So then we make money in that delta. Right. Yeah. And then um, that is, for now, the source, we're making a bit of money on payments, you know, and on software and so on for the, for the new products that we're launching. But for now, that's the main source. To have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Got it. And uh, I also understand that, uh, you know, Capsis is, uh, is, is, a, is a remote uh, company. Now, how has a remote, uh, you know, changed uh, the dynamics of how CapChase uh, runs? Because you've been into UK, US and Spain market. Um, how, how do you work uh, remotely with your team? Yeah, I mean, right now we have people, you know, I think 11 countries and so on. We are, we have people from 20 nationalities and we're just 16 in the team. So it's like, it's already like a very global team. Um, we had to start in remote, right? We started in the pandemic, so everything was in remote. And in fact, like, I didn't meet a lot of the people in person until five months in. Right? Right. When, then we just like met in, in Spain um, and that was super fun. So, so right now, you know, like what, what we do is we have headquarters in, in New York. We have an office in Madrid. Right. We have a small office in Barcelona and a small office in San Francisco. So we are trying to find you know, team members uh, that are the best in the fields, wherever they are. And then when we start to see more than, you know, four or five people in the same city, we just set up some space so they can interact and be together. Right. And, and now, for example, we are um, opening office in London in, in the next 15 days uh, because we are like we have a team of six people there right, right now. So, um, you know, there are some people that are like, like just not in places where we have hubs. So then we have to be very mindful of you know, including them in every conversation as if they were there always, right? So regular cuts up, you know, regular on-sites, regular off-sites, and just, you know, um, get people to interact more, um, you know, even across the screen. Got it. And, um, uh, you know, I wanted to understand about, about uh, the race that you've recently uh, done a couple of, couple of months back. Now, what advice would you give to founders on how do they structure the race, uh, considering that you know it has been a big race for you uh, in the last couple of months? Yeah, so I think that you know, as 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 companies get traction, um, racing just gets easier, right? Uh, but for getting started, you know, I mean, we had we have been companies to not race, right? But we had to race because you know we 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 needed to support the financing to give to, to our customers, right? So anyways, um, for the pre-seed round, for the seed round, you know, when all you have is like an idea and you're like maybe some um, early stage customers, I think that the funders should really, really focus on on the vision, right? Like that people at the pre-seed stage invest because of the founders and because of the vision. And the vision determines the, the market, right? The total market. So it is, it is really important that the vision and the messaging of the vision is very clear and, and it's very exciting. Right? Like at the previous stage, they're gonna give you a ton of money to try and figure out something. Odds are that um, it won't end up being, you know, what you thought it was, you know, like that grand vision, but the vision is gonna get them excited. 
and the team is what is what was gonna make them um be assured that if the first original vision doesn't materialize that they will figure out something else you know that we also work out and uh, you, you know as, as a ceo you you're always looking at a talent uh, great talent coming into your company uh, but also making sure that you always have cash in the bank uh, but uh, should founders always be raising or do you think as a ceo you we should always look at raising all the time 100% no they should not be uh, they should always be building right that's where the value is created so there's right. one very big difference between commercial success and fundraising success we've seen a ton of companies raising a ton of money and crashing right uh, so funders should be building you know and but sometimes they need to fundraise because otherwise like, they, they don't have enough money to run the business right so um that's what we're trying to precisely avoid we want to have funders just focus on building you know and and and, and selling and all that annoying you know time spent fundraising speaking with 100 people telling everybody about your metrics that should be avoided and then automatically you know on a pilot so i would say only raise when you need to and avoid it as much as you can because raising means selling your company and at a very 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 high cost right a company you know that sells i don't know 10% at minimum valuation that million that you're getting now is going to be worth 100 million in the company which is which is you know like significant traction right so it become become very very expensive Correct. And uh, I understand that you know you started the company at the time of COVID, but uh, how did how did COVID change the, the you know the world of of fundraising, especially that you know you would have raised money uh, over the Zoom calls? But yeah. what was the experience all about? It was insane. Uh, I, I had to raise money before you know before COVID, but okay. I'm thinking about it like during COVID, you could just have twelve investor meetings in a day. Right, that's six hours, half an hour calls, one after another, and and that was possible in the past. You have to fly out to SF and meet one VC and go for lunch and do whatever. Right, so the the speed has accelerated a lot, you know, and the frequency also a lot. You don't have to spend so much time just traveling, you know, to do it. Um, on the other hand, I think what has been great is that at least in the US and Europe and so on, there were like a lot of incentives or like um like loans that the government made to companies to diminish the impact of covid so that meant that a lot of founders saw that you know there are other ways of funding the company that's not vc money right right so then that sparked the change of mindset like oh i don't just have to use vc money to grow there's other stuff you know it can be the government it can be you know like a captchas you know giving money so that i can put this to work and not have to lose you know myself or spend a lot of time fundraising so that's that's um that was a huge change correct and uh, you know i want to talk about about talent acquisition you know what what framework the captures used to to have the best uh, remote talent uh, especially you know you mentioned you've been in two living countries so uh, what structure and framework did you use there i think it's a combination of our values you know and, and what we're trying to look for in people and then the 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 composition of each team so let me start with the values basically we have five values and we we want people to to embody them you know and we hire looking at other values and then we promote people looking at those values we put them in the spotlight when we acknowledge you know great work and those values are five you know yes before no one people that 
you know, whose default answer is, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go figure it out. You know, um, also people, you know, they have a build this attitude. So people enjoy going zero to one with all the chaos that that entails. Then people that, you know, are very, very smart, but also humble. Right? So intellectual humility, we call it. So, you know, people that know that they don't have all the answers and there's a lot to learn and they do it. Then the fourth one would be work hard and work smart. So we're doing something that's new. Nobody's done it. I'm working really hard, but, you know, like we also want people to work smart in the same direction, right? Like um, be more effective. And then last of all would be disagree and commit. So we want people to raise their voice, have their opinions, different backgrounds, different, you know, experiences and everything. And they should voice them out and protect them and try to get them through. But if, you know, the, the, the final decision ends up being something else, then just commit and execute, right? And that's working really well. We love it. And everybody in the team embodies that and is very excited about those values. Then on the other hand, the team is structured. How we're thinking about this. We want people that know, that are functional experts, right? They know a lot about what they need to do. And then we are matching them with people that are young, but extremely smart as well, right? So then you're matching the experience and the and the structure and the frameworks and the strategy of more experienced people with the hunger, the drive, and the raw power of, of younger, uh, more junior people. And that's working really well. Yeah, no, I, I love all the, all the values you talked about because uh, I, I could see that, you know, the values which a CEO has, uh, it gets important uh, to everyone. And that's the vision of, of the CEO. Uh, uh, and, you know, I wanted to understand how, how, how do you look at uh, optimizing product management uh, in, in remote teams? Uh, uh, do, you, do you work directly with the, with the product teams on this uh, or, or the yeah. remote base? Yeah, so um, they are remotely based. We have a PM in Amsterdam, another one in Sevilla, uh, a couple in Madrid, a couple here. Right? So it, it is kind of distributed. I think that what we've done, and again, like this can change, right? Like, as, as the company changes, but all we've done is, you know, we have. Um, put uh, PMs in a specific domains, you know? So for example, one just focus on revenues, one just focus on expenses, one just focus on treasury, another on, on finance ops, right? Uh, so they learn everything about that and they know everybody in the space and they talk with customers and they, they always have like this, you know, field of operations that they just need to be the best at, right? And then how we pair them with, with, um, with, um, Engineers, engineers are more like functional experts, right? So then they are, for example, we have a team of payments, you know, a team of, you know, UX. So then the engineers can rotate from PM to PM, depending on the project and the initiative. But the PMs just get like really, really, really good at their other domains. Correct. And uh, again, I, 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 want, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Uh, <laughs> I think that one of my favorite business books is um, The Everything Store about Amazon. Yeah. Um, the reason why, for two things. One is because they made, you know, a, an internal product, an internal tool to manage the warehouses into one of the biggest businesses in the world. So AWS internally was their software to run the warehouses. And now, you know, AWS, you know what it is, right? The biggest cloud company in the world. And two, because Bezos is maniacally focused on finding flywheels in the organization, right? So the original flywheel, which was, hey, 
lower prices, get more customers, get purchasing power, lower prices. Again, like that flywheel, that was like, you know, mind, um, well, that was super inspiring to me when I first read it. And it's something that we're trying to do constantly here, right? Like try to find our flywheels uh, so that, you know, we can accelerate the business uh, and try to avoid, you know, the reverse flywheels, which slow the business. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the Everything Store is also one of one of my favorite books. Uh, I, I'll put that in the show Amazing. notes. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, if you could go back time when you started uh, working on CapChase, I know it's been uh, just a couple, couple of years, but what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Wow. Yeah. So uh, I think it's, it's mostly around, around hiring people, right? So we 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 I mean we've gone from zero to sixty something people in a year, right? So that's pretty fast growth. But there are some key profiles that took us very long to 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 find because we're trying to be a little bit too perfectionist, right? So we're trying to find somebody that would you know cross every every box or check every box. Um, and then when one of our investors said like, guys, like, you have to hire for strengths. Like you, if you find somebody that's really good at this box. Even if they're not that amazing at the three other box, just get them, and and then you complement that with with other people, you know, in the future. So that was going like a, like a mind shift. So I wish that we had started with that from the very beginning. Correct. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools? Example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I <laughs> it may be a little bit unconventional, right? But I love this tool called Strava for sports tracking. Um, it, it, it is it's just great. It's so addictive. You, you can see, uh, have you ever used it? Uh, I haven't, but uh, this, is the, this is the second time uh, in, in a week uh, a guest has talked about Strava. So uh, I'll definitely no get this. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you go running or cycling or whatever, Strava is just going to map wherever you go and then it's going to rank you against other people that did the same path. So then it's very. It, it, it like gets up my competitive juices, you know, because I want to go faster, you know, longer, do it better than myself and than everybody else, of course. Yeah, no, uh, okay. absolutely. I, I, I spoke to Patrick uh, Pischer, who's a, the general partner in Nobia Fund, and he talked about Strava. So I'm definitely going to use that product and uh, put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, Michael, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about captures? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I'm very accessible. People can just text me at my email, uh, miguel at catches.com, and I'd love to, to help anybody out there. Got it. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Miguel, thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Of course. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a great chat. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.